Chapter 51 of Crypts the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 51 Unfilial. At seven o'clock, all must be ready, said Mr. Sharp towards the close of a hurried conversation with Miss Patch, Grace O'Glander being sent out of the way, according to established signal. There is no time to lose, and no lady's tricks of unpunctuality, if you please. We must have daylight for these horrid forest roads, and time it so as to get into the London road about half-past eight. We must be in London by two in the morning. The horses and all that will be forthcoming. Kit rides outside, and I follow on horseback. Hannah, why do you hesitate? Because I cannot, I cannot go away without having seen that Jesuit priest in the pignet wallowing. It is such a grand providential work. The arm of the Lord has descended from heaven and bound him in his own meshes. Luke, I beg you, I implore you, I can pack up everything in an hour. Do not rob me of a sight like that. Hannah, are you mad? You have never been allowed to go near that place, and you never shall. Well, you know best, but it does seem very cruel, after all the lack of grace I have borne with here, to miss the great protestant work thus accomplished but suppose that the child should refuse to come with us we have no letters now nor any other ministration we have no time now for such trumpery we must carry things now with a much higher hand everything hangs upon the next few hours and by this time to-morrow night all shall be safe kit and the girl gone for their honeymoon and you sitting under the most furious dustman that ever thumped a cushion oh luke how can you speak as if you really had no reverence because there is no time for such stuff now we have the strength and we must use it just go and get ready i must ride to meet my people the girl i suppose is with kit by this time what a pair of nincompoops they will be i am sure they will be a very pretty pair so far as poor sinful exterior goes and what is of a thousandfold more importance, their worldly means will be the means of grace to hundreds of our poor fellow creatures, who, because their skin is of a different tint and their own opinion a finer one, are debarred. Now, Hannah, no time for that. Get ready. And mind that there must be no feminine weakness if circumstances should compel us to employ a little compulsion. Call to your mind that the Lord is with us. THE SWORD OF THE LORD AND OF GIDEON. Pleased with his knowledge of holy writ, he went to the place where his horse was tied, and there he found a man with a message for him, which he just stopped to hearken. As lovin' as a pair of turtle-doves, he hath a-got her by the middle, as sweet as my missus were to me afore us went to church together. Black George had been sent to watch Kit and Gracie during their private interview, lest any precaution should be overlooked. Right. Here's a guinea for you, my man. Now, you know what to do till I come back. To stay where you are and keep a sharp lookout. Can the fool Nanette do without any water? Very well. After dark, give him some food, bandage his eyes, and walk him to and fro, and let him go in Banbury. All right, Governor. A rare bait he shall have of it, with a little swim in the canal to cleanin'. No hardship, no cruelty cried Mr. Sharp with his finger to his forehead as he rode away, only a little wise discipline to lead him into closer attention to his own affairs. 
Black George looked after his master with a grin of admiration. He stick it at nort, said George to himself as he began to fill a grimy pipe. He stick it at north no more than I would, and with all that house the land's tobacco'n. Most folk with money got no pluck left for thinking of others as owneth the same. I'll be danged if he doesn't carry on as bold as if he slept in a rabbit hole. With these words he sat down to watch the house according to his orders. But this man's description of what he had seen in the wood was not a correct one, much as he meant to speak the truth, for many reasons, and most of all this, that he ran away before the end of it. It was a pretty and moving scene, but the rabbit man cared a great deal more for the pipe, which he could not smoke in his duty, and the guinea which he hoped to get out of it, and it happened as near as one can tell on this wise. Grace O'Glander came down the winding wooded path, with her heart pit-a-patting at every step, because she was ordered to meet somebody. An idea of that kind did not please her, a prude or a prude she would never wish to be, and a little bit of flirting had been a great relief, and a pleasant change in her loneliness, but to bring matters to so stern a point, and have to say what she meant to say, in as few words as possible, and then walk off, these strong measures were not to her liking, because she was a most kind-hearted girl, and had much good will towards Christopher. Kit, on the other hand, came along fast, with a resolute brow and firm heavy stride. He had made up his mind to be wretched for life, if the heart upon which he had set his own should refuse to throb responsively, but whatever his fate might be, he would tread the highest path of generosity, chivalry, and honor. And this resolution was well set forth in the following nervous, pathetic lines, found in his blotting paper after his untimely, but stay, let us not anticipate. These words had been watered with a flood of tears. C.F.S. to Miss G.O., Say that happier mortal woos thee, Say that nobler knight pursues thee, While this blighted being teareth All the festive robes it weareth, While this dead heart splits to loose thee, Ah, could I so misuse thee, Though this bosom rent by thunder Crash its last hope anchored in thee, Liefer would I groan thereunder Than by falsehood win thee, and now they met in a gentle place, roofed with leaves and floored with moss, and decorated with bluebells. The chill of the earth was gone by and forgotten, and the power of the sky come back again, stately tree and graceful bush and brown depths of tangled prickliness, everything having green life in it, was spreading its green and proud of it. Under this roof and in these halls of bright young verdure, the youth and maid came face to face befittingly, Grace, as bright as a rose, and flushing with true tint of wild rose, drew back and bowed, and then, perceiving serious hurt of Christopher, kindly offered a warm, white hand, a delicious touch for anyone. Kit laid hold of this and kept it, though with constant fear of doing more than was established, and, trying to look firm and overpowering, led the fair young woman to a trunk of fallen oak. Here they both sat down, and Grace was not so far as she could wish from yielding to a little kind of trembling which arose in her. She glanced at Kit sideways whenever she felt that he could not be looking at her, and she kept her wise eyes mainly downward whenever they seemed to be wanted, not that she could not look up and speak, 
only that she would rather wait until there was no other help for it, and as for that, she felt no fear, being sure that he was afraid of her. Kit, on the other hand, was full of fear, and did all he could in the craftiest manner to make his love look up at him. He could not tell how she might take his tale, but he knew by instinct that his eyes would help him where his tongue might fail. At last he said, Now, will you promise faithfully not to be angry with me? Oh, yes, oh, yes, to be sure, said Grace. Why should I be angry? Because I can't help it. I give you my honor. I have tried very hard, but I cannot help it. Then who could be angry with you unless it was something very wicked? It is not very wicked. It is very good. Too good for me, a great deal, I am afraid. There cannot be many things too good for you. You are simple and brave and gentle. But this is too good for me ever so much, because it is your own dear self. Grace was afraid that this was coming, and now she lifted her soft blue eyes and looked at him quite tenderly, and yet so directly and clearly that he knew in a moment what she had for him. Pity and trust and liking, but of heart's love not one atom. I know what you mean, he whispered sadly with his bright young face cast down. I cannot think what can have made me such a fool. Only please to tell me one thing. Has there been any chap in front of me? How can I tell what you mean? asked Grace, but her color showed that she could guess. I must not ask who it is, of course. Only say it's not the swell that drives the four bay horses. I do not know anyone that drives four bay horses, and now I think that I had better go, only as I cannot ever meet you any more, I must try to tell you that I like you very much, and never shall forget what I owe to you, and I hope you will very soon recover from this, this little disappointment, and my dear father, as soon as we return to England, for I must go to fetch him. Grace, oh, let me call you Grace once or twice, it can't matter here in the middle of the wood. Grace, I was so taken up with myself and full of my miserable folly, which of course I ought to have known better. I must not stop to hear any more. There is my hand. Yes, of course you may kiss it, after all that you have done for me. I'm going to do a great deal more for you, cried Kit, quite carried away with the yielding kindness of lovely fingers. For your sake I'm going to injure and disgrace my own father, Though the Lord knows the shame is of his own making, it is my father who has kept you here, and tonight he is going to carry you off. Miss Patch is only a tool of his. Your own father knows not a word about it. He believes you to be dead and buried. Your tombstone is set up at Beckley, and your father goes and cries over it. But his letters, his letters from Demerara. Oh, my head swims round. Let me hold by this tree for a moment. Kit threw his arm around her delicate waist to save her from falling, and away crept George, who had lurked behind a young birch tree too far off to hear their words. You must rouse up your courage, said Kit with a yearning gaze at his sweet burden, yet taking no advantage of her. Rouse up your courage, and I will do my best to save you from myself. It is very hard. It is cruelly cruel, and nobody will thank me. His letters from Demerara cried Grace, having scarcely heard a word, he said. How could he have written them? You must be wrong. Of such letters I have never heard. I suppose they must have been forgeries. 
I give you my word that your father has been the whole time at Beckley, and a great deal too ill to go from home. Too ill? My father? Yes, of course, of course. How could he help being ill without me? And he thinks that I'm dead. Oh, he thinks that I'm dead. I wonder that he could dare to be alive. But let me try to think a little. She tottered back to the old stump of a tree and sat down there and burst forth into an extraordinary gush of weeping. More sad and pitiful tears had never been watered on innocent face before. Let me cry, let me cry, was her only answer when the young man clumsily tried to comfort. Kit got up and strode about, his indignation at her deep, low sobs, and her brilliant cheeks like a river's bed, and her rich hair dabbled like drifted corn, and above all the violent pain which made her lay both hands to her heart and squeeze, his wrath made him long to knock down people entitled to his love and reverence. He knew that her heart was quite full of her father in all his long desolation, and was making a row of pictures of him in deepening tribulation, but a girl might go on like that forever. A man must take the lead of her. If you please, Miss Oglander, he said, going up and lifting both her hands and making her look up at him. You have scarcely five minutes to make up your mind whether you wish to save your father or to be carried away from him. Grace, in confusion and fear, looked up. All about herself she had forgotten. She had even forgotten that Kit was near. She was only pondering slowly now, as the mind at most critical moments does, some straw of a trifle that blew across. Do you care to save your father's life? asked Kit rather sternly, not seeing in the least the condition of her mind, but wondering at it. If you do, you must come with me this moment, down the hill, down the hill as fast as ever you can. I know a place where they can never find us. We must hide there till dark, and then I will take you to Beckley. But the young lady's nerves would not act at command. The shock and surprise had been too severe. All she could do was to gaze at Kit, with soft, imploring eyes, that tried to beg pardon for her helplessness. If we stay here another minute, you are lost, cried Kit, as he heard the sound of the carriage wheels near the cottage, on the rise above them. One question only, will you trust me? She moved her pale lips to say yes, and faintly lifted one hand to him. Kit waited for no other sign, but caught her in his sturdy arms and bore her down the hill as fast as he could go without scratching her snow-white face or tearing the arm which hung on his shoulder. End of chapter 51